have you kind of noticed a, a bit of a contradiction at this time of year? And, and maybe contradiction's the wrong word to use, but the idea that there can be such joy as we think what the Lord himself did for us, what God the Father planned that was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, God the Son, who came as a babe, became a human, became one of us, yet had no sin, so that he could go to the cross and die in our place and take the punishment of our sin and provide for us freely the gift of eternal life. That is such good news. That is that when we sing these songs, they're joyful songs. And then you turn on the radio when you're going home. And you hear about the international conflict that's going on. You hear about the racial tensions that are rising in our country and becoming worse and worse. You, you, you hear about the lawlessness that seems to pervade so much of our society. You hear about all these negative dimensions of life, and yet we're singing joy to the world. But man alive, things are really miserable. One of the greatest difficulties that we deal with today involves the family. We're watching the family disintegrate. We're, we're seeing that people are willing to live together outside of the bonds of marriage. Um, it's no longer shameful to have a child out of wedlock. Parents are not accepting their responsibility in raising their children as a, a mother and a father who take responsibility for raising their kids. And you look at what's happening, and you begin to put all of these things together, and you realize that at the very root and heart of the family, many of the other issues that are arising are coming out of that because the family is disintegrating. When Solomon wrote the 127th Psalm, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he began to draw into our perspective an understanding that is extremely important for us to lay hold of. Would you turn back in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 127? Look at what, what the Lord says through the psalmist here in Psalm 127. He says this, Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. There are three dimensions that the, the writer of this psalm is approaching that are really very important for us to lay hold of. Because if we don't lay hold of these truths... We will build homes that ultimately will crumble, no matter how hard we work at it, because work is not the answer. The answer comes in the Lord being the one at the very center of our lives individually and at the center of our homes corporately, and through him we find that the house is built on a firm foundation, it is developed in such a way that it is protected by secure walls, 
And then the provision that comes as the the roof is placed on this house and now there is safety and there's security that arises. And he addresses each one of those things in these verses. And he says, if this is not the case, then your home is going to crumble. And sadly, some people have already seen this. And perhaps some are seeing it right now before their very eyes. And here's the good news. It's not too late to change that. Because if we build our homes on a foundation of independence, it is not the Lord who is building the house. What I mean by that is is simply this. When young people are growing up, and you guys are are going through this, and and I don't know what influence comes from your families, but those of you who have already grown and and you've established homes of your own, you probably experience some of this. And and I see it as I watch our school and as I see our kids coming down to graduation. And and what, what I hear oftentimes, not all the time, thankfully, but oftentimes what I hear is this. Uh, we want our kids to go to the best colleges so they can have the best degrees and they can earn the most amount of money. And so there is this contest, this effort to get the best grades. And I'm not saying it's not good to get good grades. You should do the very best that you can. But be sure it's for the right reason. It's not so you can get into a college that is going to provide for you the the, uh, diploma, the degree that gives you the greatest earning power and has the most notoriety. But that's the way some people live. And they say, that's what I want. And then when it comes time to get a job, we go after our job. I want a job that's going to pay the best money and provide the best. Now, now here's where the, the difficulty comes. We often have trouble differentiating between the selfish desires and the blessings of God that provide many times the same things. But the difference lies in this. Sometimes it's our desires. In other times, it's God's purpose. And his objective. I don't know if I'm being clear with this, but but let me, I'll, I'll focus with you guys because I think this will help clarify it. There are some people who are going to do very, very well financially because they have committed their lives to the Lord and the Lord's purpose for them is that they have such a position because they will use that position to bring glory to the Lord. There are others who do very, very well and they're very wealthy because they have worked like crazy and they have done pulled all the right strings and they've made all the right contacts so that they themselves could be really wealthy and they could be looked up to and they could have influence. Do you guys see the difference between the two? It's not having a lot that's the problem. It's why do you have a lot that's the problem. And what the writer of this psalm is saying is this, unless it's the Lord who builds the house, you're going to build a house that's going to crumble. You may have all that the world has to offer. And before you know it, the walls begin to come down. So what the Lord says is this, I want you to build in such a way that the home has Christ at the very center of everything. It is the will of God that we pursue. 
if he leads us to a place that would be perhaps the the biggest institution in the country. Not biggest by numbers, but a Harvard or a, a Yale or a Princeton or Cedarville or... I'm trying to think of the one you went to, Jim. Clearwater Christian. There we go. <laughs> it was slipping my mind. Okay. You could go to the, the finest schools in the country. And, and by the way, those, those are, all of those are really fine schools. But, but why? Why? Is that where the Lord is leading? Parents, is that where you want your kids to go because it is clearly the will of God for them? See, even in the Christian community, we have not laid hold of this. We have bought into the world's way of thinking. And instead of building our homes the way the Lord wants us to build them, upon a foundation that is solid and secure and dependent upon him, that foundation has to be laid with a clear understanding of the will of God. And how do you have that? Well, here's the truth that we know. God is never going to direct you to do something that is contrary to his written word. Today, to me, it's such a struggle today because I'm, I'm a pastor that grew up in a day when the word of God was really exalted and it was looked at as the final authority, and it was such a, a focus of our attention. And I'm not seeing that today. I'm, I'm hearing people say, oh, I wish we'd have more stories. I wish we would we'd have, I wish the pastor would just tell us how to apply the Word of God more clearly. How about this? How about if you hear the Word of God and allow the, the Lord himself to have you apply it? Wouldn't that be better? The problem is, we don't... We are so satisfied with milk toast. Uh, Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Yeah, that's fine for babies. That's fine for babies. But the day comes, you eat the bread of the Word, and ultimately you should be moving toward the meat of the Word. Oh! The meat is hard. It involves doctrine. Oh, there's a word we don't want to hear because that's, that's, that's on a plane for, for people in seminary. No. That's for every one of God's children. Every one. Where did we get this idea that it is sufficient to be immature? Where did we get the idea that it's okay to just slip by with little ditties that get us through the day? My gracious, you wonder why the world is such a mess? We're not building our homes on the foundation of God's Word. We, we, we reject what God clearly says in His Word, and I'm watching it happen. We reject that, And we think everything will be okay because we have a better idea than God has. I 
I have to be careful. I'm really stoked. I am seeing way too much that I believe is going to lead to the demise of Christian influence. And quite frankly, I think we're already on that road. You, you want to know why our society is crumbling? Why our homes are crumbling? It's because we live the same way as unsaved people. We, they can tell you things that God says. He says, thou shalt not murder. Oh, okay, well, it's wrong to murder. Thou shalt not steal. Well, okay, I, I won't steal. It's sin to covet. Hmm. It's not a big deal. Um, it's no big deal to have some other God before him. I want to tell you folks, it's not going to get any better unless we as God's people start living the way we're supposed to live. You know, part of the reason why this whole issue, I I am way off base here. Not off base, but I'm way out of the outline. Do you know part of the reason why our society has accepted homosexual marriage? It's not equal rights. That's not the issue. To define marriage as being between one man and one woman is the biblical and societal definition of marriage. But because we have allowed the whole concept of marriage to degenerate within the walls of the church, the world looks at it and says, oh, it must not be a big deal. Because we get divorced the way the world does. And we raise our children the way the world does. We teach them to have the same, uh, the same desires, to have the same goals, the same objectives that the world has. And over the years, and, and who's to blame for this? Probably me, pastors. The world has moved, the church has moved. The world has moved, the church has moved. The world has moved, the church has moved. And now we are at a place where the world hadn't even been years ago. Those of you who are teachers know what I'm saying. Back when there used to be standards for teachers, the length of your dress, the time you were in at night, if you were single, you were not seen with a, another fella. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, isn't, isn't that the way the, those old fundamentalists live? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should come back. If we lay a foundation that's independent of the Lord and we build independently of Him, then we will find that we are going to have to protect ourselves independently of him because we have pulled ourselves out from under the umbrella of his protection notice what the lord says right after he talks about building the house he says they labor in vain who build it unless the lord guards the city the watchman says oh, pardon me the uh, the watchman stays awake in vain 
It's in vain that we protect our homes independently of Christ. And what, what I want us to see is that the Lord says, when you build according to my standards, when you allow me to be the focus of your life, I will be the one who protects you. You don't have to worry about your own protection. I'm going to take care of you. You may face some real difficult days, but I'm going to be right there because you have not left me out of the picture. We build our own way, we leave him out of the picture, and then we say, well, where was God when? You, you, you hear people saying that today, don't you? You hear the world saying that today. Well, how can God let ISIS exist? How can God allow such lawlessness in our country? How can God allow people to have, have children and, and the fathers disappear and never show up again? How can, how can all of this happen? Well, you haven't had God as part of your equation. The Lord's not been there. He, all of a sudden you want him, but he's been kept out of everything else. Listen to what the Lord said in Psalm 33. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. He doesn't say the famine isn't going to hit. He doesn't say we're not going to go through trouble. He doesn't say we're not going to have difficulties in life. We're not going to have hardships. What he says is this, when those things occur, I'll be right there. I'll protect you. Because your protection is not going to come through the ways of the world. It's going to come through dependence upon me. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Do you think the Lord can protect us better than we can protect ourselves? Absolutely He can. That's... That's why I'm not giving up on our society. Because if we turn things around within our own hearts and lives, a whole society can turn around. But as long as we keep saying, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to do things the way the world does them. Because look at all they get to enjoy. Oh yeah, they're really enjoying things right now, aren't they? Things coming apart at the seams. We put the Lord back where he belongs. That's where we're going to find recovery. There's another element that arises in this. And when we build with foundation of independence, we're already on very shaky ground. But then you add to that walls of anxiety and you have another problem. Look at what it says in verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He is not saying this. He is not saying that hard work and good effort and, and directed ideas, he's not saying that those aren't right. God's people work hard. 
We, we discipline ourselves to do the things that ought to be done, and we work at them with energy and with fervor. But sometimes people do that, and they're so anxious about everything. They're worried. What, what oh, my goodness, what, what's, what's going to happen if, if I don't get this done at the right time? And if I don't get that, well, you should get it done. You should work very hard to get it there. But listen. Don't be anxious. It's wrong to be worried. Do the best that you can and don't build the walls of your life or the walls of your home with anxiety, always wondering where things are going to be provided, how God's going to take care of things. Because what, what he tells us is this, I'm going to be there to care for you. Now, some of you might say, well, listen, you don't understand. We have reason to be anxious. And I understand we do. There are reasons to be anxious. We can be anxious about international affairs. When we see things just like the, the murder again yesterday of these two individuals. And you just see the way things are unraveling. And now they're worried about ISIS showing up in Central America. And you say, oh my goodness, there's reason to be afraid. Or, or uh, you don't know what it's like to wonder where your next meal is coming from. Or you don't know what it's like to have a disease that, from the human point of view, is going to take your life. And you can go on and on. And I will agree with you. There are reasons to be anxious. There are reasons to worry. But over each one of those reasons is a defense that the Lord himself gives. When we turn back to the scripture, there is a cure for all the anxiety that would come our way. Why? Because first of all, there is a divine presence in our life. When we look at the divine presence that God brings to people who are in situations that that would cause great anxiety, what we find is a great deal of comfort and rest and peace. Do you remember what happened with the disciples after Christ ascended into heaven? They, They ran into a bad time. You see, the same guys that killed Jesus wanted them dead too. And they succeeded in killing Jesus. Now, they want these disciples dead. And what do we find? Peter and John, taken before the council, they are reprimanded and told not to proclaim the name of Christ, and their response was so good. We ought to obey God rather than men. And they said, we're going to do what God wants us to do. So guess what happened? They get it again. This time they get beaten. And ultimately, Peter gets thrown into jail. And what is Peter doing? I mean, he has been beaten. The guys that have him are are murderers. They are willing to kill for their purpose. And so Peter is sitting in jail, and he's wringing his hands, and he's saying, what is going to become of me? My gracious me, these guys, they, they want me dead. 
right? No. The Bible says he slept. Do any of you ever have a problem sleeping because you have a lot of things on your mind? Sure you do. I've gone through those periods where you wake up at 3 in the morning and the first thing that's on your mind is this difficulty that you know you have to deal with and it's like, oh, how am I going to do? What what am I going to do? Peter is in jail. He had been beaten before. He is facing men that want him dead. And so he sleeps. (laughs) He sleeps. When we refuse to live with anxiety. God gives us rest and peace. But when we believe that things are in our own hands, we're anxious. And so the writer of this psalm says, look, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, because you're, you're all worried about things, for, uh, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep, his presence. The very power that comes through prayer that we can take every one of our anxieties before the Lord. What does he say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Did you catch that? Does that mean I can even thank the Lord for the difficulty that I'm dealing with right now that's tending to make me anxious? Absolutely. Lord, thank you for this difficulty because somehow through this, you are going to glorify yourself and you are going to make this work ultimately for my good. And so I can thank you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Lord, this is what I'm asking you to do. But I'm trusting you no matter what. But here's what I'm asking you to do. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind by Christ Jesus. You don't want to be living in an anxious home. You want to be living in a home where there's peace and where there's rest. And the Lord says, this is how it's done. There is a third element that now is introduced in this chapter that really becomes a bit of a conundrum because he's just told us about this foundation that it should not be independent and the walls should not be walls of anxiety. But now we come to the third part of this superstructure where the Lord wants us to build our homes the right way. And by the way, he uses the word house, but that can often refer to the the unit of the family, uh, just like, um, in okay, this would be the best way I can think of it, uh, the house of Windsor. You, you know what I'm saying? That's a family, the, the descendants. You, you know what I'm saying. Okay. So now he's, he's telling us, now, now we've got to come to this third element. How, do, how does this all fit in? And it really comes down to misplaced trust. Look at this. Okay. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Are the Seville's here? They have got to be the happiest people you have ever seen. Oh, and and the stills. Good grief. You guys have six little ones running around the house? Are you happy? Oh, yeah. Do, Do you know why people would be happy about having a lot of children? Were any of you raised on the farm? Seriously, were, were you raised on the farm? If, if you spent years on the farm, you're going to know what I'm talking about here. Farm families used, used to be big families. Why? They didn't have a TV, no. <laughs> farm families were big families because farmers wanted boys who could work the fields with them. Because the boys became their security. In the day in which this was written, the family unit was a much stronger unit. And what the Lord is saying at this point is, when you have a lot of children, I have blessed you with security. In your home. Like today. Uh, This still even applies today. If you get old and infirmed, what do you want to have happen? You want your kids to take care of you, right? No? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I I don't know your kids. (laughs) My wife used to tell me, she said, Honey, you be careful how you treat the kids. She says, because one day, when you're at a rest home, what they're going to do is they're going to have you in the wheelchair and they're going to take you right to the steps and stop you there. Or they'll put a broom handle through the spokes of your wheelchair so you can't move. And I I get that. That's probably what I'm heading toward. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, by and large, wouldn't you like it if your family unit was so closely knit together that when you could no longer care for yourself, your children would take care of you. Would that not be a nice thing? Rather than going to a rest home, though I understand that today, in our society today, that is something that that is really helping people live with a great deal more comfort and and so forth. But it it would be better to be at home. I want to be at home. Don't you want to be at home? Why? Because i got a good foundation at home, and I've got good strong walls at home, and now I have this provision for me, this security. How does that fit with what he has just said? Here's what he is saying. Let me use a parallel. Do you ever go outside and take a look at the stars at night? Um, When we were up in uh, Georgia last week, it was cold, and the sky was crystal clear. And I walked outside, and I looked up. And living up north, we had seen this a lot. The sky was just filled with stars. And it was like, oh, 
Look how beautiful this is. And you would, see, you, you, you would see the silhouette of the trees. And then you would see just this black sky, but it was crystal clear so you could see all of the stars that were shining. And you look at that and you say, oh, that is so beautiful. Don't you dare stop there. Thank you, Lord, for making such beauty. The danger we face is that sometimes we put the emphasis on the beauty rather than the one who's responsible for the beauty. Do you get what I'm saying? What the Lord is saying to people here is this. Do you get it? I blessed you with children to provide your security. Don't think for a moment that your security is found in your kids. Your security is found in me who gave you the kids. That's why you can be happy with your quiver full. Don't stop short. What some people do when they get down to the end of their life, they begin to misplace their sense of security and their trust. And let me just give you these quickly. They, they trust in previous blessings. They trust in previous accomplishments. They trust in previous attainments. When the Lord is saying, no, unless you build your house around me, it's going to crumble. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's not going to stand unless the Lord protects the city, it won't be safe. Unless God pours out the blessings, you will not be secure. So where does he bring us? Right back to the central focus of our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just to know about him, but to know him to embrace Him, to have Him at the very center of our existence. Lord, what's Your will for my life? It, listen, I understand some of you guys might come from families where that's not the big deal. That may not be the most important thing. But you can make it the most important thing for your life. You can't change your parents but you can show them the right way. And some of you are blessed in having families that want Christ at the center. You listen to them. They will build you a good home. When we know Christ, when we're going to gather around this table. Why, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, it's a religious experience. It's just something that churches do. No, no. We gather around this table for one specific reason. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. And we remind ourselves every time we partake, Lord, you died for me. You provided forgiveness for my sins. You rose again from the dead so that I too might rise to life everlasting rather than life being condemned forever. It's because of you 
It's because of your death. You died for me. And I trust you as my Savior. I hope you've done that. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you really can't connect with anything that I've been talking about today until you trust Him. And when you trust Him, your sins are forgiven. You possess eternal life. And you have all the resources you need to make your home, whether you're living by yourself or whether you have a large family, to make your home solid, stable, protected, and secured for the rest of your life. That's the way I want to live. Do you want to live that way? Do you want to live that way? Come on. I'm not talking at you, folks. This is, a, this is us. Do you want to live that way? Then what is keeping you from living that way? Only you can answer. Father, we pray that you would take this message today, this portion of your word, and drive it home for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.